0: Well, now you might be asking yourself all this talk of expedient means, people that are of good merit, high facility, capacity, those who are not, those who need to learn a lot more, all of these. Justifications for, or justifications, explanations, whatever, for reaching people where they are, right? Not everybody is at the same place in their own self-discovery, right? Personalities, characters, we're all different. Some of us are almost born searching for there's got to be more to this thing that I'm doing, being, feeling, Others are like, wow, just let me swim in all this stuff. Let me be in samsera. I love it. Right? They're not quite ready to accept that there's something far beyond that. So, okay, we understand that. But has it occurred to you that since we're, uh, we're studying together and we've been studying for a long time now... Um, What we hear consistently is that uh, the Buddha nature, the Buddha-ness, the Buddha mind has been there all along. So what gives? If everybody has the Buddha nature inherently, then why not just turn it on? Why is it different for some than others? Why three vehicles for those And uh, the bodhisattva, the supreme vehicle, the Buddha way for those. What gives? What's with the favoritism? Well, that's a good question. And here's why. And what we've been reading so far is an attempt to explain why, but that doesn't mean you aren't asking the question. So I'm asking it, right? But well, here's the here's the the crux of the issue and sometimes I think this is the most I say this a lot but they're all really when I say this I mean it this is all the same issue really we are sentient minds ingrained in us is samsara The way our karmic engine, and I mean pre-human being, right? The karmic engine of the cosmos, the universe, that amalgamates in such a specific way, in a specific form, that it happens to populate this specific planet at this specific time. Really, when you think about it, you know, if you read the book, just a little aside here, please permit me, Uh, by uh, Professor Hawking, a book he wrote decades ago, The Brief History of the Universe. And I'm going to have to paraphrase paraphrase because it's been many, many, many years since I've read the book. But somewhere near in the last quarter of the book, he explores the fantastic, minute, little changes in pressure, temperature, time, so on and so forth. It's incalculable how infinitesimal little differences would have made it impossible for our species to even exist, life to even exist. But for there to develop out of this soup of a cosmos, a sentient mind, incredibly unlikely. So first of all, that reminds you of how precious this opportunity is to be alive and have a sentient mind as a bipedal, as we're reading in the Lotus Sutra. Life form, amazingly precious opportunity, right? But to also be able to be conscious of the process, also entirely unlikely. Hmm? Yet it's part of the process to witness the process. Uh, uh, this, the, the problem is, if it's if we want to call it a problem, uh in Buddhism, yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem because the entire mechanism of instantiation relies on this curiosity, this wanting to be, not so much to be and say me, 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 but to be what, what if there was a way to perceive color and that, that what is color? And in order to know what color is, well, we have to develop some sort of way of perceiving color. And if we perceive color, then it has to be something outside of us. And if we're going to perceive something outside of us, then it has to become uh, uh, something that we have a tool in order to see or experience to see. To see. Okay, to see. So let's make it uh, an eye. And an eye that can get these photons, receive these photons. And now that we receive these photons, what do we do with them? Well, we can separate them into different wavelengths. But it's meaningless I mean how would we recognize or be able to label namarupa color Uh, well we need a brain we need a brain to be able to discern what these photons are and then catalog what that is and my point is and if you read Vasubandhu on the five skandhas you'll you'll take such a deep dive into that it'll make me sound like a kindergartner right But I'm speaking very quickly right now just to illustrate the concept that karma, karma itself, the engine of life is a process of grasping, clinging and craving. The very thing of which the life form we are based on, in, of that emerges this sentient mind is completely fabricated, constructed of craving and clinging. It's samsara. The instantiation of karma is samsara. It's what we are. So, how the hell do we achieve enlightenment? Well... Maybe it's by just standing just outside of that craving and clinging engine and going, huh, look at that. Right? So what Shakyamuni is talking about here isn't, even though the language of dull capacity and so forth, everything he's saying is about awareness, right? Buddhism is about the mind. So he, in his wisdom, in his Buddha wisdom, sees that there are people perfectly happy in samsara, they think, right? Misery for how many times have you heard people say, you can't know joy without suffering, right? Human beings have made it okay, like norm, that we suffer. I live miserably, but then there's Christmas. Or, you know, I'm an addict or a degenerate gambler, but sometimes I win, yay. And if I wasn't a degenerate gambler living on the streets, broke, getting arrested, getting beat up, blah, 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 how would I be able to feel the tremendous joy of having $5,000 in my hand to blow? I mean, humans can justify anything. It's unbelievable. And yet, here we are. So Shakyamuni has a teaching of stepping to the side of craving and clinging so that we can observe the totality and not be completely absorbed in the craving and clinging world. But some people don't even want to consider that. Now, his teaching is for everyone. But not everyone is ready. Not that they don't have Buddhahood in them. They just have it so buried underneath this cloud of delusion and illusion and sickness. Now you understand why it's called delusion, illusion, sickness, or even evil. Because, my goodness, it stands in the way of such exalted, amazing being. Again, I don't use the word like he does. Not the attached being of Samsara but the moment-to-moment being of Buddhahood. That's why. Not because these people of, quote, dull capacity or or don't have the will yet or, or don't have the capacity. Well, they have the capacity, but their capacity of samsara is far greater. They have a huger obstacle that they have to sol- slowly disassemble, take apart, and then see... Past or through or aside. So that's what we're talking about. Otherwise, there's only one teaching as you and I practice Namu myo ko, Namu, here I am, persistent, determined, awake, instantiating that awareness, that mind of clear, unobstructed, unattached, observation, and engagement. Don't forget the engagement. Nothing disappears other than our own delusions. Our attachments, cravings, clinging samsara. The karma continues, but our attachment to that karma removed. Hmm? So that's what we're talking about. Therein, just as the great physician was, so is the thus come a gone one, to be viewed. Knows the right medication for the right sicknesses. Just as was that congenitally blind man, remember, so are the beings blinded by delusion, to be viewed. Just as were wind, bile, and phlegm, so are lust, hatred, and delusion as well as the products of the 62 views to be regarded. Now, do you see what that's talking about? This is all the, here's samsara and all of its devices, and here's a way to get through it, past it, around it. Makes sense, right? All right. As were the four herbs, so is the gateway to nirvana, that of the empty, the signless, and the wishless to be viewed. Whenever medicines are applied, then are the ailments assuaged. In the same way, by realizing the entries into deliverance of emptiness, signlessness, and wishlessness, do the beings suppress ignorance. They keep their samsaric cravings and clingings at bay. They suppress their ignorance. What are they ignorant of? Enlightenment. In order to experience enlightenment, you've got to uh, push that samsaric tendency, very strong tendency, to the side. From the suppression of ignorance comes the suppression of predispositions. What I like and don't like doesn't really calculate anymore, because that's based on the past, on samsara, on clinging and craving, right? and so on until the suppression of this whole great mass of suffering is achieved. Nirvana. Liberation. And in this way, the thought of the practitioner stands neither in good nor evil. It's not about what's good or bad, right? People talk about good karma, bad karma. They don't get it. It's not about the karma. It's about your perspective, your attitude, your intent, the way your mind perceives the engine of life. If it weren't for the karma, you would have no mind with which to perceive. Karma's not bad. It does have a very active engine. And depending on how you negotiate relationship with your karma gets repercussions that are either nurturing of your enlightenment or nurturing of the obstacles toward your enlightenment. Samsara. It's a very, very simple formula. Hmm? As the blind man who regained his vision was viewed, so should the person in the vehicle of the auditor or the individually enlightened, Shravakas, Pratyakabuddhas, so on, he severs the bonds of the defilements of the round of transmigration, the cycle of birth and death. Moment to moment to moment to moment to moment to moment no moment, moment. Severs the round of the cycle of birth and death, of transmigrations, birth, death, birth death, birth, death, birth, death. Hmm? Severs it. Now see clearly. Hmm? Released from the bond of defilement, he is freed from the triple sphere with its six destinies. In this way, the person in the vehicle of the auditor knows and voices the following There are no more dharmas to be intuited. I have attained extinction. The I has attained extinction. My singular reference point of the whole universe is me, 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 me has been extinguished because now I am the universe. I am a witness and a seer and a participant fully engaged in the process of life. Am I? I now, the Buddha I, not the samsaric I. Little play on words there, yeah? Then indeed, the thus gone one demonstrates the Dharma to him. In other words, your Buddha nature becomes your truth, your existence, your being. Mm. Since you have not attained to all the Dharmas, whence comes your extinction? The Buddha encourages him toward the enlightened intuition, the thought of enlightened intuition having been excited within him. He neither stands in the round of transmigration nor attains to extinction. Having understood, he sees the world of the triple sphere in its ten directions as empty, a fabrication, a mock creation, a dream, a mirage, an echo. We reference that very insight in Gumgill, right? Our environment is a reflection of of and by our self. It's a reflection. It's the same thing. It's not other. Not dark, not bright. He sees all dharmas as unoriginated, unsuppressed, unbound, unreleased. Not good or bad. This is just the process. We're in it timelessness right without a reference or a, a craving or clinging for our past or future then time is irrelevant we're just in this moment to moment to moment to moment to moment we're momentum we're moving right just like gravity is not a force gravity is something we sense we feel due to acceleration The reason you're on the planet is because the planet is accelerating you. Everything is moving. Whoever sees the profound dharmas in this way, he, with non-vision, sees the whole triple sphere as full, assigned as an abode to a variety of beings. Then, indeed, the Buddha, demonstrating this meaning on a larger scale, at that time, spoke in these verses. As the light of the sun and the moon falls alike on all men, the virtuous as well as the evil, and as their glow there is no deficiency for some or fullness for others. So the glow of the thus-gone one's wisdom, as equitable as the sun and the moon, guides all beings, being neither deficient nor yet excessive. As a potter makes... Uh, may be making clay pots, the pieces of clay being quite the same. Yet there take shape in his hand containers of sugar, milk, clarified butter, and water. Right? We heard that analogy earlier. Some for filth, while yet others take shape as containers of curds, as that potter takes one clay, makes pots of it, and as whatever thing is put into it, by that thing the pot is designated. Right? These are the labels we obsess with. If I teach you this way because you're not ready for that way, then you're one of these. Or you're one of those. Right? Students, Shravakas, Pratyaka Arhats. But the Bodhisattva is a label for somebody doing something entirely different. We're learning that in the Lotus Sutra. So to match the distinction among the beings because of the difference in their inclinations, how they're using their minds, the thus-gone ones tell of a difference in vehicles, whereas the Buddha vehicle is the true one. Out of ignorance of the wheel of transmigration, they do not understand the enlightened remainder, the rest of the teaching. Not yet. However... He who understands the dharmas as empty, as devoid of a self, he understands in its very essence the intuition of the fully enlightened Buddha ones. The individually victorious is so called because of his middle position in wisdom, while the auditor is so called because he lacks knowledge of emptiness. The perfectly enlightened, however, is so-called because of his understanding of all dharmas. Thanks to it, and by resort to hundreds of means, he constantly demonstrates the dharma to the beings. Right? This is a distinctly different aspect of a bodhisattva. Coursing in the Buddha way, influencing and teaching or instructing, or just influencing others. To do the same for themselves. He's the greatest facilitator, or she, right? For just as a certain man, born blind, and thus of the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets, having no vision might say there are no shapes at all. And as a great physician taking pity on that congenitally blind man and going across up and down the snowy range might take herbs from the mountain, the one possessed of all colors, flavors, and states of being, equating the lotus teaching to that, and other such Four in all and put them to use as chewing one with his teeth, pounding another then yet another inserting them into a limb on the point of a needle he might apply them to the man born blind however he needs to get these medications into him he has to have different types to do different things to progress this man's illness to health the three vehicles the obvi- analogy being made yeah And as the latter, regaining his sight, regaining, he never had it, right? Congenitally blind, but we can look past this error. Gaining his sight, let's say, might see the sun, the moon, and the stars and the planets. And this might occur to him, quote, Formerly I uttered that out of ignorance, just so do the beings greatly ignorant and congenitally blind wander about blind to the true teaching, yeah? Trapped in woe, because life is suffering, by their ignorance, ah, yes, Sarah is ignorance, of the wheel of conditioned production. What's conditioned production? It's the instantiation born of craving and clinging to be, to see itself, to experience itself. It's all about that me, 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 me. Self, 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 self. Identify, identify, identify. That's samsara. So we're tremendously grateful for that engine of life, but we need to unglue our attention from it to actually perceive the entirety of it everywhere, all the time, all around us. Freeing our identity from it to perceive it as the process of life, a much huger proposition. Not just my life, your life, but the life. Hmm? Just so, in a world deluded by ignorance, has the supreme all-knower, the thus-gone-one, the great physician, arisen, he of compassionate nature, a teacher skilled in means, he demonstrates the true dharma. He demonstrates the Buddha's unexcelled enlightened intuition to those in the supreme vehicle, the, the way. The leader reveals the middle intuition to the one of middle wisdom, while to the one who fears transmigration, he describes yet another enlightened intuition. Right, The three vehicles. To the discerning auditor who has escaped from the triple sphere, the following occurs. I have attained spotless, auspicious extinction. Thereupon, it is to them that I declare... This is not the thing called extinction. Rather, from the understanding of all dharmas, is immortal extinction attained. In other words, time is irrelevant now. It doesn't mean never dying. That's not what immortal means here, or eternal means here. It means time is irrelevant. You must understand this, that when we divorce ourselves from this constant clinging and craving past, present, future, we simply are. And being in a moment-to-moment momentum is all that there is. That's the fundamental truth of all phenomena. To contextualize it in a scale, a measurement of time, is futile. Science is grappling with this right now, with quantum. They can't figure it out, because there's nothing to figure out. Just as the great seers, evincing compassion for him, say to him, you are a fool, do not think I am wise. When you are within your house, you cannot know what happens outside with your slight intelligence. What is to be known without... Whether done or not done, he who is within to this day does not know. Whence can you know it, O you of slight intelligence? Whatever sound may be produced about five leagues from here, that you are unable to hear to say nothing of one from far off, which men are ill-disposed to you, which ones well-disposed, there it is impossible for you to know whence comes your overweening pride. You've limited your sphere of understanding to this small sphere, the home in this example. How can you possibly be so arrogant to say that you understand matters of other countries, other cities, other lands not that far from you? You, you have no knowledge of them. Everything you do is contrived in your mind. You create a world that does not exist. How can you know? From where then do you pull all this pride and arrogance? You have no knowledge, right? When but one league is to be walked, just take a walk, get out of your house. Get out of the neighborhood. There can be no walking without a beaten track, right? The the path. Mental, whatever happened in your mother's womb has been forgotten by you, every bit of it. He who has the five kinds of super knowledge, he is called all-knowing, yet you, ignorant as you are from delusion, say, I am all-knowing. I think he's talking to the Arhat here. If you seek all knowledge, you should achieve super knowledge. Think on this achievement as a forest dweller. You shall gain pure dharma, and through it the various kinds of super-knowledge. And just as he, grasping the meaning and going, quite collected, to the forest, reflects. Then, having gained the five kinds of super-knowledge, is in no great time endowed with superior qualities. Just so are all the auditors possessed of the notion that they have attained extinction." And then the victorious one tells such persons that this is mere repose, not full enlightenment. You're just taking a rest. You've just learned a bunch. Cool. Good on you. But you haven't reached perfect, complete enlightenment. It is an expedient device of the Buddha that they speak in this manner. For apart from all knowledge, there is no extinction. Undertake it. Do it as you've heard me say so many times. Just do it. (laughs) The infinite knowledge of the three periods and the six pure uh, perfections and emptiness and the single signless and that devoid of plans and the thought of enlightened intuition and what other dharmas lead to extinction, dharmas both with outflows and without, tranquil, all resembling open space, the four kinds of Brahman conduct and what has been much bruited as methods of attraction. For the guidance of the beings, these have been proclaimed by the supreme seers. And he who discerns the dharmas as similar in nature to dreams and illusions, as being as devoid of a core as a bunch of plantains, as being similar to an echo. And he who knows that that, too, without exception, is the nature of the triple sphere, completely contrived and constructed in the mind of imagination, Samsara, creating these delusions, and who discerns the enlightened rest as being neither bound nor free, but a moving process, yeah, clue, and by whom all dharmas, being the same, and being devoid of a variety of appearances and natures, just appear so because of delusions, and right, are not looked to, nor is any dharma perceived. He, in his great wisdom, sees the whole dharma body, the cosmos, all at once. For there is no triad of vehicles, but only the one, All dharmas are the same, all the same, ever quite the same. Knowing this, one understands auspicious and immortal extinction. The above is the fifth chapter in the Dharma circuit of the exalted white lotus of the true Dharma, the one called the chapter of herbs. Thus endeth the lesson. (laughs) I always wanted to say that, I don't know why. I'm a Monty Python fan. That goes way back. Next up is bestowal of prophecy. We'll see how this one's written, because I've read some translations. They're extremely repetitive. Hopefully, he's figured out a different way to do that. Did all that make sense? I tried with my interjection to make it digestible, because the language of, even in translations you can get lost in circles in here, but it's really, really simple. It's simply that everybody has a different place from which they experience samsara. Some people are deeply enamored with it. We're all craving and clinging in it. We are samsaric beings. That's why we are. Buddhahood is a way of stepping aside from this whole energetic process of momentum to observe it without influence influence you could say as a fascination with its amazing variety and and sparks of life right which makes us compassionate for all other sparks of life to just Look, look, are you seeing what's happening here? You want everyone to see it, right? Just like fireworks, what good are they? They're fun alone, but they're much more fun with others. So compassionately, we want other beings, sentient minds to man, you've got to see this. But everybody has a different starting point, only because of their particular relationship with the engine of life. Some are more enamored of it. Some don't see the potential in themselves. Some don't even care to know the potential. How do you spark for them the desire for enlightenment? Right? You never know what it is that's going to spark somebody to think, there's got to be more to life than this. We've heard songs with those lyrics, yeah? There's got to be more to life than this. And some of us start curious from the get-go. What a wonderful problem to have, right? So when we come across this teaching, we eat it up. That doesn't mean we're not skeptical because we're seekers. We're also <laughs> maybe even a little less trusting than the person who suddenly goes, you can what? Whoa, sign me up, right? It's, it's strange. We're all different. And so Shakyamuni is simply saying I teach the same thing to everyone, but I have to teach it in a different way to inspire, get people to aspire to this one teaching. They may need shorter range goals, more attainable in their mind's goals. They can attain Buddhahood right now. They just won't believe it. They won't understand it. They'll just shun it. And they may even make negative causes about it and sink themselves deeper into their obstacles. Don't want to do that. Heck no. So this is the story of the teachings of Buddhism, right? And the Lotus is that culminating teaching where he says, look, it's all this one thing. Just do this. Everyone can get there with this. And at this time in Mapo, as he foretold, and as Nichiren guarantees us, Hmm? And, and so did Miaolo and Dengyo and Tendai. A lot of scholars along the way said in this latter age, as Shakyamuni was talking about, it will be not only the right time, but the necessary time to practice this clearly, this one vehicle, because by the time we get to this era, this age, there's going to be so much defilement, so much distraction, so much stuff to fall in love with. Nobody's going to care about this teaching. This teaching will just sort of fade into the distance and then it'll be lost. And we cannot let that happen. That's why we are the bodhisattvas from beneath the earth. We are the future bodhisattvas that would come in this age with Nichiren as our guide our mentor, our exemplar. And he said as much, do as I've done, do as I do. Live your life as I have. Hmm? Be hypercritical of opinions and practice this teaching clearly. Here's a mandala so you can be constantly, viscerally, samsarically reminded of the ceremony in the air the teaching of the lotus, focus on the main characters of myo and ho, even though every character represents all 69,834 words of the sutra. Right? Instantiate your innate Buddha immediately because that is what will buoy your samsaric existence toward full, complete enlightenment, and inspire others to do the same. This is coursing as a bodhisattva, yeah? So, congratulations. No small mission, and yet the reward, immense. So thank you for your practice. Thank you for supporting this resource. That's all I'm doing here with this. these videos. The podcasts are free, the books. Uh, you can get as ebooks or as print books, the Nichiren mandala, the copy of a Nichiren inscribed mandala, nobody else's name on it, no, Bob's mandala or, or Shoshu or whoever, and they put their own names on it. We're not practicing their stuff, we're practicing Nichiren's. The ceremony in the air, that's it. So that we can penetrate our own mind, sentient mind, and open that ninth consciousness, the Buddha eye, right? That doorway, that archway, whatever you want to call it, that portal, the gate, as Nagarjuna would call it, of the Golhonzon, so that we can open that Buddha eye. Namo Myo Thank you for your support. All the links in the description, as you know. Patrons, you guys... um, I wish I could fly you all out here and have a great barbecue with you or something. I don't know. Or whatever. If you're, who knows what everybody eats anymore. But, um, I'm just really, really grateful for you guys. This songha Just hit 1500, uh, subscribers. Uh, that doesn't mean there aren't more of you who simply haven't subscribed yet. I wish you would because it helps propagate this resource, which is Bodhisattva work. So, uh, please do that. It only takes a second to like and subscribe. Um, and if I can uh, provide any greater resource, let us know in the comments. Maybe there's something I could be doing outside of the books and the free podcast and the, all the free information on threefoldlotus.com. Please avail yourself to that. Um, anyway, I will continue and we'll see you in the next video. For now, Do a kindness for yourself and everyone else. Keep yourself in good health. Keep your practice strong. And I'll see you in the next one, okay? Bye for now.